0: What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience,
1: the podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson.
0: And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in.
1: Welcome to the show. Daniel, do you want to start an intro, a slight intro, and then let him lead into it? Yeah, sure. So,
2: I mean, I met Chad at, uh, his proving ground exercise in Georgia. Um, and I heard about Chad by listening to Andy Frisella's podcast. So I listened to that pretty regularly and he had Chad on and I heard Chad's story and I was like, wow, this dude is amazing. Like what a, what a story and and what an accomplishment he's doing. And then Chad was talking and, and, and giving his history and stuff and talked about the proving ground. And I'm like, Oh, what's the proving ground. And it was essentially this thing that you don't really know what it is, right? It's you're coming to Georgia <laughs> and, and you're putting your life into Chad's hands for a few days. And you know, it's going to involve physical exercise. You know, it's going to involve getting out of your comfort zone. And pushing yourself and stuff like that, and and at the time in my life, I was like, that sounds like something I need. I've been sitting behind a computer at a desk. I'm kind of like, I'm pent up energy, anxious, COVID, all this stuff. So I just, I just said, whatever, I'm going to go. And I showed up, and and it, it's a little bit secret, like you don't really, you know, you, you know, you don't really talk about it. it. It's a very private thing. I can talk about some of the lessons from it, right, Chad? I don't want to, you know. Talk about anything that you don't want talked about, but it's a very intimate, amazing, spiritual, physical, mental, emotional experience that really was a profound effect on me. And, and you know, and meeting Chad and the team was was incredible. And just learning some lessons from him was an amazing experience. So, Chad, I mean, thank you so much for letting me be part of the first proving Ground. Yeah. You know, it was, it was an honor. We met some amazing people there that I'm still in touch with. And it was just, it was an incredible experience in a short amount of time. So that's how I came to know Chad and, um, and just honored that you sit here and talk with us.
3: Well, Dan, I'm telling you, man, uh, I'm still, it still blows my mind that people will go and sign up for these things that we create, right? Like the proving grounds and the basic course, but you know, what happens is, it is because it is such a, um, it's such a, a, a non-traditional product, right? Uh, that we end up getting really, really special people because it takes a special person to sign up for a mission with some crazy, bearded, backwoods, Navy SEAL, wizard, hermit-looking guy. Uh, it takes a very <laughs> special person to come and sign up to spend a weekend with me and my team. And uh, it just, just because you, you don't have any details, you just have to roger up, you have to show up, and that has led me... Uh, to places where I've been able to meet very special people. You're one of those men, Dan, uh, very special men and women on both sides. You guys fill me up. Um, I get to give to you guys, but you guys get to give back to me and allow me and my team to live out our mission statement, our mission for our lives, just like you guys are living out your mission for your lives um, with, uh, with the Recovery House and the programs that you guys create, which is such an essential Piece of our society right now, man. It's so the job that you guys are doing, there's literally nothing more important than the job that you guys are doing, man, because let me tell you what, addiction has touched my inner circle in a big way. And I'm gonna go ahead and tell you what I learned. I used to. I know I'm getting in. I'm gonna tell you who I am in just a second. Um, I, I'll tell you what <laughs> I learned. You know, you know, me growing up, you know, lower middle class, you know, whatever. You know, you used to. You used to. Society used to, I think, teach us as kids, and they themselves would look down on people that were struggling or dealing with addiction. And it's so beautiful to me that now that perspective is starting to change. And I understand now what it actually is. And I and I got to see my own wife like I knew she was a beautiful, loving, amazing person. But when she was bound up in that battle, that she was fighting when she was bound up it, within that, in that disease, man, like it was just, it was just bad. She, it, she couldn't, she couldn't. And it was, I knew she was locked in there, man. And when she got clean dude, by the grace of God and, and because of people like you guys and programs like your program, it has say, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. Uh, when I saw her break free from that, now she's got, I think eight years clean. We can dig more into that story later, but, um, uh, it's just so, I'm just so thankful for what you guys are doing. Uh, I'm Chad Wright. Dan wanted me to tell you who I am. I'm sorry. Y'all can edit that whole <laughs>
1: <laughs> thing That was you a want. great intro.
3: <laughs> um, I'm Chad Wright. Uh, I, I was born and raised in North Georgia, and I had a, and, and at one day, uh, after shortly after I had graduated high school, I was working a construction job uh, here in North Georgia. I didn't like school. I didn't like the corporate thing. I didn't like any of that stuff. It didn't fit. I like being outside. I like do it. Like I was gritty, man. I've always been gritty, right? Grit. I don't know if y'all understand what grit is, but it, you better figure it out because it takes some grit to get through life, right? And I was I always had a little grit in me, right? And I was working this construction job and all of a sudden this this banner pops up on the, on the computer. This was in 2006. It said Navy SEALs, the hardest military training in the world, and uh, and I thought, you know what? I can sit here and do this job for the next rest of my life and make, you know, four or five hundred dollars a week, live paycheck to paycheck, and uh, never really get ahead because uh, I'm not gonna go to school. That's not that's out of the question. Uh, and, and I <laughs> said, I gotta do something, man. I gotta do something special, right? And there's a lot of avenues you can go to do something special in life. This was the one for me. I feel like this was God created me to go this route. Right. And it just appealed to me that it was the hardest thing. They claimed it was the hardest thing in the world, which it was. It was the one thing in my life that has lived up to and exceeded my expectations for how difficult it was portrayed to be. um, Seal training as a whole. So I say, all right, I'm going to go do this thing. I go up to the recruiter, but I don't know how to swim. The, the, the dokers. I weighed 220 pounds. I didn't know how to swim either. I, I was lifting weights, man. I couldn't run. I couldn't. Sh- Look, man, the furthest I had ever swam was across the pond to get my fishing lure h- unhung off of a log over there, you know? And uh, <laughs> they laughed me out of this place, dude. And so uh, finally, I keep coming back and, and they tell me, all right, you got to pass this, this swimming, running, push up, pull up test. Took me months to get in shape to pass this thing. Finally passed the test and I get my SEAL contract, join the Navy. Oh, get to the last day of boot camp in Navy, in the Navy, and they pull me out of formation. I'm getting ready to go from boot camp to Navy SEAL training, buds. They pull me out of formation. They say, Chad, you got to go up to medical, man. Uh, there, there's something, there's something wrong with your, your, uh, your physical. And I said, all right. So I had left everything, by the way, I had nothing. I had, I gave my truck to my brother. I had no possessions, left everything in order to pursue this goal that I had set for myself. Walked into medical that day on the last day of Navy boot camp, And, uh, the dive medical officer proceeds to tell me that they found a seven centimeter pericardial cyst on my heart. Now, the interesting thing about this cyst is it was an asymptomatic condition and it was also a very rare condition. So the doctor basically says, hey, man, you can never be a SEAL because we're worried when you go diving underwater as a combat diver or you go way up in the air as a, as a uh, skydiver, the pressure change could potentially burst that cyst on your heart. But as long as you don't dive or jump, You're good, man. This thing's never going to give you any problems in your life. So we're not taking it. We're not removing it. That's not an option. We're going to send you out to the big Navy and uh, you'll never be able to be a SEAL, but go have a good career out in the big Navy. So all that I had aspired to do was literally taken from me in that single moment. And I was given a definitive answer um, that not this is not going to be an option for you, Chad. Um, removing this thing surgically is not an option. Uh, you just got to find something else to do, buddy. I'm pat you on the back, right? <laughs> and, wow. Yeah. So, um, so I got out of the Navy and uh, cut all ties with the Navy. Actually, I, I got out on an administrative discharge. It's basically a breach of contract because the Navy. I could no longer. I had a seal contract, but I could no longer be a seal because I wasn't qualified because of this heart condition. And uh, I got out of the Navy and um, got back to my hometown here in North Georgia. Of course, everybody thought, all the dudes that I grew up with, that I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. Uh, and they all of them, when I left, they were like, oh, yeah, he'll be back. Right? <laughs> hey, not Dude, this is Chad. Right? Even the Bible says a prophet has no honor in his hometown, man. This is Chad. We grew up with Chad. <laughs> he can't be a SEAL. And and so I show back up a few months later, and of course, they're all like, oh, okay, he's back. You know, he quit. That's what everybody does. Everybody quits SEAL training. We started our SEAL training class with 300 men, handpicked from American society. We graduated with 18 at the end of six months. Everybody quits, man. Don't let people blow smoke up your butt and say they got injured or they got rolled or they got. No, they quit. That's just what people do. It's that hard. <laughs> and, uh, so I get back and, uh, I, I actually, I call it what you want, call it being young and naive or, or call it just being, um, I call it front sight focused or mission focused. Uh, there's something about the way my brain is wired when I get focused on something, a task, a goal, whether it's business, uh, marriage, lifestyle, running, whatever, I literally, I, I just, my world closes in and I get laser focused on that specific goal and, um, and nothing can stop me. Nothing has ever stopped me before. Um, by the grace of God, he gives me the strength, right? But nothing stops me. I get so focused on this thing and that's the way I was on this path to become a SEAL. And so I start going around the Atlanta area, talking to any heart surgeon that I can get an appointment with and saying, will you take this thing off my heart? And they tell me the same thing that the Navy doctor tells me. Here's a night here's a, now at this time, 19 year old kid coming in here to ask for an elective open heart surgery so that he can go, hopefully go back into the Navy to try something that nobody makes it through anyways. All right. And and, and here's the caveat to all this. Even if I had this heart surgery, there was no guarantee that if I had the cyst removed that the Navy was to let me back in. There's no guarantee. It was was a total gamble. I just knew that there was no other step forward other than getting this thing off my heart and then reassessing. Finally found a surgeon after about four appointments, three or four appointments that was willing to perform this surgery. He was the leading heart surgeon in Atlanta at the time. Uh, He had never removed a pericardial cyst. So I have an appointment with him. He says, man, I understand what you want to do. I respect that. We're going to go in here. I'm going to cut your chest open. We're going to go in here and look at this thing and figure out a way to get it off. And I'm like, Roger that, <laughs> dude. Let's do it, man. Um, so as, as as tough as I might sound now to you guys, I do want you to know I did have a moment of doubt. And it was on the way to the hospital at 530 a.m. I, w- I remember writing. It was dark outside, leaving my home, going to the hospital to uh, have this per- uh, surgery performed. And uh, I, I just it got real all of a sudden, you know, when you're go when you're riding to the hospital to get cut open, you guys have had surgeries before, you know, it gets real. And, uh, I looked over at my dad and I said, dad, do you, do you really think that I should do this? And he said, son, if you want to be a seal, you have no other choice. And so that was just, you know, reconfirming in me. And and that's played out a lot of times, uh, a lot of other times in my life and in ultra running in different scenarios. Um, I I try to boil the the picture down or the results down to two possible outcomes. I'm either going to achieve my goal or in the ultra running world, I'm going to break my body, right? Um, I'm just going to shut my body down or I'm going to finish the race. And that's if I can get it down to those two options, like that day going to surgery, uh, when my dad told me that it's like, okay, well, I have two options. I can stay home and not have this surgery, but if I want to go, I have to go and do this. And that helps me a lot mentally, not thinking about all the different things that might happen. Right. I just try to boil it down to this is what this is what I have to do to go forward and um, had the surgery. Yeah. Had the surgery. Got got. It went good. Took me a few months to recover. Quite obviously, the hardest part was trying to swim again, because, you know, when you swim, in a pool, you have to stretch out real long. You have to get nice and flat and long in the water. Well, that would really pull on these chest muscles that had just been cut open. Um yeah. Cut through. Yeah. So uh, once they healed up, though, um, you know, I, was, I, I, went, I went back to the Navy. They said, all right, we're going to let you back in, but we don't know if we're going to let you go to Bud's. I said, okay, roger that. Let me back in. I uh, went back in the Navy, stayed in a holding unit for about six months while Navy doctors reviewed my case. My um, my civilian heart surgeon had put together a little packet that I presented to them. And uh, they actually wrote a whole medical journal on my case because it was the first Naval Special Warfare candidate to ever have this condition, have it fixed, wow. and then show back up. Uh, so you can just Google it online, Navy SEAL pericardial cyst. If you want to, if you're a science or, or medical person, you like that. It's pretty interesting. It, <laughs> I'm not
1: even sure I could spell that. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It shows my chest x-rays and the cyst and all. It's pretty cool. Um, but hey, uh, Chad, I have a real
2: quick question for you. Go ahead, brother. Did you, you, so there was no performance difference. It's not like you be, your heart became stronger or anything. It's just, you had this thing on it. So you went through that, you know, and and just for this. It wasn't to improve your heart. It was just because this was a requirement. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The cyst was
3: totally asymptomatic. Wow.
2: Okay. Yeah. Sorry, continue, please.
3: No, yeah, man. I uh, appreciate that question. Um, And then, so, yeah, man, I, I'm back in. I sit in a holding unit for six months. They finally review this case. And, and, you know, the crazy thing is, is when I came back in the Navy, that dive medical officer that had disqualified me on the last day of boot camp, I had got out of the Navy had heart surgery and I was back in before while he, and he was still there at the same office. Like he hadn't left that position yet. So it was all pretty quick. I mean, this was all within a year and uh, I showed back up and he's like, I remember walking into his office and he didn't know I was coming and uh, he didn't know that I had done this. And like I walk into his office and he's like, what dude, what are you doing back here? Like he remembered me because of the pericardial cyst." And uh uh-huh. I presented my case to him, and and I think that he really appreciated what I had done more so than anyone else uh could understand, because he knew he knew that this cyst was asymptomatic, and he also knew the severity and the risk involved in the surgery, and he knew, because he was the one that disqualified me, he knew that I did this purely so that I could have a chance to achieve what I wanted to achieve with that portion of my life. I think he really appreciated that. And I have a feeling behind the scenes, he probably helped me out quite a bit. Um, you know, get me to a place where I was actually able to go to buds. They're not going to send anyone to seal training unless they're, they're, um, totally fit from head to toe. If you have anything wrong with your body, your skeletal system, your muscular system, they're not going to send you, because they literally push you right to the point of death guys do die in seal training um but they don't want that to happen because it looks bad um (laughs) right yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) that's a hard sell yeah
1: that's not a good selling point
3: (laughs) yeah yeah so uh you know and and i I guess i'll tell you this whole story um and and not to be cliche you may have heard this before but i i mean i'll just be straight up honest with you if i would have went to seal training the first time before i had this heart surgery and this this whole being uh having everything taken from me and 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 all this happening i don't think i would have made it to be totally honest with you if i can honestly assess myself prior to that furnace of adversity that i had to go through in order to just toe the line i do not think i would have made it through seal training i really don't just to be honest with you i don't think i had what it took mentally or physically, right? But when it was taken from me, um, it it set me on fire, dude. I I got so hungry and so front sight focused. And this process that I had to endure forced me to invest so much into this project, right? I had invested pain. I had invested money, I had invested uh, difficulty, mentally challenging, going to have this surgery and, and and being told no and being laughed at when I got back home by my peers and letting feeling like I let my family down and all this other man I had I this process forced me to invest so much that when I finally towed the line, literally I I I, I don't say this lightly, I would have died before I left from that training. They would have had to kill me. I don't say that lightly. I'm very familiar with death. I I understand death. I understand what it means to say I would die for something and I would have, but it was only because of that process that I had to endure leading me up to that point. You know, it's an interesting thing as you reflect back on that I believe God creates us all for a very specific purpose within the body of Christ, right? So the, what, what God created Dan for, I can't do it, right? Your, your, your created purpose is so unique that no one else on earth can fill that purpose within his body, the body of Christ. And I look back on that and if, if I can say, I truly believe that God created me to become a seal and serve, and have those experiences in that portion of my life, he knew the process that it was going to take to get me to the point that I was going to be able to get the job done, and he just had to take me through it, And, and I stuck with it long enough. If you stick with that process long enough, you actually get forged to a point that you cannot deviate from it. It's impossible to deviate from it. That's how I felt when, when I, after I had had this heart surgery, I had stuck with this process for so long. We as humans like to think that we're in control and that, that we always have free will that, oh, after this heart surgery, I could have still just said, ah, eh, I'm going to change. No, there was no changing my mind. I could not deviate from this path. That is how I felt, And it's an it's a awesome thing. You may only get that once or twice in your life, right? But it, it will happen. The reason most people don't reach that point is because before they get to that point, they
1: quit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I feel lucky. I've uh, well been on that same path for 27 years now. I'm still on that same path. have not varied from it at all. So, But I think I'm uh, lucky and unusual.
3: Yeah, awesome, man. Twenty-seven years, no kidding. That um, yeah, that's amazing. And you know, so I make it through. CO2. I I know I'm talking a lot, guys. You guys stop me if you. I'm just that's walking good. you through the story, oh, man.
0: That's good. Uh, so, you're,
2: so now you get. Getting- no, I love that.
1: But I did have one quick question. Do you feel like, be, like you said, coming back, you're not sure you would have made it through the first time, but what you went through to get back, do you feel like that gave you an edge over your fellow SEAL uh, people as far as wanting it more and putting more into it? Oh, 100%. And success, more success?
3: Yeah. 100%. I mean, I, I had, um, I, I got I got awarded the hard charger award of my class. I mean, uh, you know, yeah, 100%. I mean, nobody, nobody there... Wanted it worse than me, um, you know, but yeah, I mean, God bless them, man. I'm thankful that they didn't all have to go what I had to go through, but nobody <laughs> there wanted it worse than me. I can go ahead and tell you. Wow. Um, right on. So I went straight through uh, no issues, no, no roles, no performance issues, nothing. Went straight through training with the same class, Bud's class 278 and uh, graduated uh, Bud's SQT seal qualification training. You, you know you actually train for four years as a seal before you ever deploy and go to combat. So it's a, it's a long long journey to get to that point to where you're actually operating as a seal operator. Um, I ended up spending uh, about 12 total years in the Navy, had a successful career, uh, in the actual SEAL teams after training, got to deploy all over the world and, and really um, uh, forge a new perspective on uh, on life and what's out there in the world. And I got to do some really cool stuff, help people along the way. And um, ultimately, in 2019, I was experiencing some trouble with uh, my my mental... Function, but but most, in particularly my my balance. Um, I, I can remember on multiple occasions being out on the operation with uh, night vision goggles on, and um, I would squat down and, and I would lose my balance and just fall over. And what I didn't realize because I had not went to the doctor my entire SEAL career because the op tempo is so high, uh, you can't go to the doc- You don't have time to go to the doctor you just constantly going, training, fighting, deploying. Uh, and I had neglected a lot of things that, that were in, within my health that were basically compiling upon themselves. And um, I ended up going to the doctor finally after having some significant issues and realizing that I had um, destroyed the, the vestibular system, which is the system within your inner ear that controls your balance. Um, on my left side, I was completely deaf on my left side. Obviously I knew that I didn't tell anybody about it, but what it was, (laughs) I was a breacher in the SEAL teams, a breacher builds bombs and we breach walls or doors or whatever it may be in order to get the team into the target, whatever, whatever the target complex is. And you're in the front of the, the patrol and you move up, you place your charge and then you move back and you set that charge off with the the blast wave that comes off of that explosion because I'm right-handed, I'm holding my weapon like this. Right. And so my left side was always facing the, the, uh, the explosion. And I just, there's no telling how many thousands of blast waves that have hit me right here in the left side of my brain and, and face and head.
2: Thousands. What's that? Thousands.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 in breacher school alone, you're you're oh, wow. setting off. I, I I imagine you probably set off right at, if not a little over, a thousand charges just in breacher school alone, um, which is two months long. And uh, and then you mm-hmm. move on to your team, and obviously you're you're breaching all the time, and you're dealing with even larger charges uh, when you move on, and and you're actually doing it operationally. So yes, I, I would say easily would be in the thousands. Um, we don't keep count; they do keep count now. Thank, thankfully, they because of guys like me. Now they make uh, they make operators wear a sensor on their body armor that actually keeps count of how many blasts they're exposed to. Right, and um, there's oh, wow. a lot of stuff being 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 improved when revolving around TBI. Now I'm so thankful for that.
2: Wow. So then you get discharged because of this condition, and then how did you feel when they said your career is over? Was it your choice? Was it was it they were told you you have to go? What happened?
1: Yeah, or were you just ready?
2: Yeah.
3: Well, it, it, it they it, it wasn't a choice. Um, I, I think maybe. Maybe I could have navigated it in a way that I could have went and took some administrative position within the seal teams, uh, which is is not really for me it, it didn't feel worthwhile. <laughs> uh, so um you know it, it, it they didn't leave you with much choice operationally, they basically said you don't need to be exposed to any more blasts because if you do, we don't know what might happen. You might not be you anymore, right and uh, so they pushed me out with an admin well not a I a a Medical retirement is what they call it at, at the end of my 12 years, which was a wonderful thing because uh, I'm 100 percent disabled and I do get retirement from the Navy for my service. And uh, it's not much money, but it's enough money when you live as simple as I live uh, that I can live off of it. I really can. Um, that was that was very I'm very thankful for that uh, because um, it gave me. It gave, I thought it was going to give me some time and make that transition easier. And in certain ways it did, but what I've began to understand is money's easy to make. It's the, the, the mission, your purpose, the purpose for your life, right? The mission that you're on, that is so much more important and so much more valuable than any amount of money. Um, and it, it it took me a little bit to realize that. So I thought, well, I'm getting made to retired. I've got this 10 acre farm here in Virginia. This is going to be nice. I finally get to kick back and be a regular person, you know, for the first time in my adult life, you know? And, and so I try that for about a week and I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, oh man, this isn't good. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't have my guys around me anymore. Uh, we, I don't have a mission. Um, I, I, I feel empty. I feel lost. You know, and, and and I try. I went, I went and did some contracting work for a, a company called formerly called Blackwater. Um, you know, doing the same stuff I was doing in the SEAL teams, thinking maybe that would, um, help me transition. But all it was was me running back to my past. <laughs> That's all it was, yeah, right? And uh, and I, I I was really, really lost and had no mission, had no purpose. That's what being lost is, is, yeah. is not having a, a mission or a purpose in life. We were designed to serve a purpose within the body of Christ, within our communities, within our societies. It, we have to have that as human beings. As much as we have to have food and water, we have to have a purpose, right? Oh, yeah. Right. Well, and actually,
2: I'll just interrupt real quick. So in treatment in rehab, right? And like we get lost souls, right? We get people who were like just confused in life and, and and doing what, you know, whatever was going on, letting life happen to them. And the point that they start to come back alive and start to get re-energized and whatever is when they establish their purpose again. You know, and, and maybe it's taking care of their kids or maybe it's doing the thing they always wanted to do but never were brave enough to do or whatever that thing is. Once you see that switch happen. And they get per their purpose again and they want to go for it, it becomes a lot easier to stay sober and in recovery because you have a a, a reason to live, you know, and, and it's just so true. We see it all all the time.
3: A hundred percent, brother. I mean, you know, it, and um that that purpose for me, a lot of times people say, Well, I don't know what my purpose is, right? I mean, and, and purpose is is something that yeah, sometimes you're seeking for it, but you 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 can't quite formulate what it is. And that's where I was at. I I, I came to the place where I knew I was going to have to find a new purpose, but you can't just make something up, right? Uh, and and I had true. already accomplished great things, um, at, you know, at a fairly young age. And so my actually finding my purpose actually started with complete submission to God, Um Now, I didn't tell you while I was serving in the SEAL teams, I got saved in 2012 on a deployment overseas. Some crazy stuff happened, led me to uh, opening up my Bible and figuring out that, um, oh, there's this uh, guy named Jesus. He said he was the son of God. He died on a cross. and, uh, And there's actually some pretty significant evidence that says he did raise up from the dead. So I figured out here's this guy that raised from the dead 2019. 2009 or 2012 years ago, I got to do something about this. I got to figure this out. And um, I, I I understood the gospel and I, I chose to, uh, whatever you want to call it, turn my life over to Jesus, become, become a Christian, I guess, if you want to call it. Um, I'm very hesitant to use religious terms. Uh, but um, yeah, that happened. Also, got back home from that same deployment <laughs> after being saved. My wife was really in the thick of uh, her her battle with the, the disease of addiction. Um, my faith helped me so much through that journey, man. Um, but
1: yeah, so what was that like? You went away and she was one way and you came back and she was completely in a different way. Like how long did it take you to figure that out? Or was it very obvious for you? Or what was that process like?
3: I'm going to tell you. Um, I think that my wife and, and this is, uh, obviously she's given me permission to tell my perspective of our story together. Um, awesome. so, uh, my wife was using for years and years prior to me coming home from this deployment in 2012. But when you are married in the seal teams, you get to see each other, uh, maybe about three or four weekends out of the year you're gone wow. uh 300 days on average out of the year every year. So you just get to see each other very little and I would come home from training trips or or deployments and we would get a weekend together and if you notice something's a little off that's not the time to talk about it. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're 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 lusting after each other, you're just uh, oh, enjoying yeah. the time, you know, and so it was it was maybe some signs that something was off but nothing it didn't seem like anything that was going to spiral out of control um and I was also very naive uh when it comes to to the drug cult, you know the 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 not only drugs but addiction I was totally naive to it I had no idea about it um I didn't even think it could turn into to a big issue <laughs> you
1: know <laughs> You're like, just stop. Yeah, okay, I was like, done. yeah, whatever. And, and
3: uh, <laughs> when I did get home from this deployment in 2012, not only was she different, but I was different. Because when I left, um, I was a straight up hell raiser in the teams, man. I mean, you know, uh, that's just who I was. I, I don't have to tell you the laundry list of sins that were a, a big part of my life and of my marriage. It, that, But you can name one and I can guarantee you I was probably doing it. And, uh, (laughs) when I got saved by, by the grace of God, uh, he changed me overnight, brother. I mean, I got it all. I got it all in one night. Totally, totally. I don't know how else to put it other than saying I was born again, that I was literally a new creation. And when that happened, I was totally different, but she was, I was 5,000 miles away And I'd talk to her on the phone and be like, man, this is, man, this is awesome. You know, and like, but then we get back home. So not only am I different, but she's different because, dude, the the disease of addiction had gotten very, very bad to the point that it could no longer be brushed under the rug because it had gotten to the point that she knew and I knew that she wasn't going to make it much longer.
2: So what was she using real quick, just for everyone to listen? Like what, what drugs was she on?
3: <clears throat> it was, uh, it uh, of course, um, it was all pills, mm. all pills. I think it was the, uh, you know, like the benzos yep. mixed with the pain medication. There's a dang pill out there called tramadol that mm. for the longest time, people didn't think tramadol, there was nothing to it. I guess doctors would hand it out like candy. She'd take 30 or 40 of those in a day, son. Wow. Um, And like piling all the other pills on top because we had health insurance. I was in the military. She could go to any doctor she wanted, man. So y'all know, I mean, I'm not, everybody listening to this knows how this works. You just go from doctor to doctor. And, and, uh, especially in the area you guys were at
0: too, Florida, Georgia back then in 2011, 2012, that was like the highlight of like doctor shopping and, pill farms and pill mills
3: yeah yeah and i mean look if you want to look at one good thing about this at least we had health insurance and she not that not that heroin is any worse than pills but at least it kept her off the street <laughs> right i True. mean that True. that's that's one well i guess one good thing that that we had going for us but um you know so, it, so it, you're
2: <laughs> So you come home. You have this amazing. You you have an intense, you know, steel career, and you get, you know, you 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 get saved, you know, by Jesus, and you're coming like a totally different person. And you walk in, and she's like, she's in the grips of benzo and opiate addiction. Yeah, something that you were like totally, you know, oblivious to. And then, so what happens? Like, does she tell you it right away? Does she hide from it? Did, or you know, like, how does that go?
3: Oh, she didn't tell me about it, but I mean, she didn't have to tell me. She could barely (laughs) talk. Or wow. drive. Like, we'd be driving somewhere, and she'd be, like, you know, just out, just, like, going off the road, man. Wow. And so, like, I was like, okay. And then sometimes, I mean, she would be in bed for, like, uh, three three days at a time or something. Like, I'd have to call my buddies to say, hey, go knock on my door and, and get her up. Make sure she's still alive. Like, and then, so at that point, uh, I, I don't – eventually – She never really came out and told me she, she couldn't hide it. She maybe told me that she was having some issues, but it, it, you guys know how, you guys know how it is. It was, this was the dynamic. She would claim that she had severe stomach pain. So I thought something was wrong with her. And so then she would go get pain medication And then I would just be like, well, she has to take this because she has stomach pain, right? I didn't know. This is how stupid I was, guys. I didn't know. But finally- How could you? Yeah, I didn't know, man. And like, I'm hurting for for my wife because, you know, I think she's got this chronic pain that she's dealing with. Man, I wish something, I I wish we could get some kind of diagnosis. Of course, there was no diagnosis because there was no problem um it, it was a it was a really really tough time <laughs> i mean i'm not gonna lie to you finally we were out on the beach on her i think it was actually her birthday and i had just been praying man that's all i could do i was so helpless uh, i i just there was you I, I there was nothing that i could tell her to f- convince her to stop doing this even if i knew well, even the, the fullness of what was going on, there was nothing I could have said. And um, we were out on the beach one day and she just she just broke down crying and she told me everything. She told me everything. There we go. And she said uh, she said that she wanted to the truck to to get clean. And I have no I, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I, I can I have to contribute that to um, prayer the grace of God, um, him honoring my newfound relationship with him and now bringing my family back into wholeness. Um, you know, and and she says she wants to get clean. And then we start that journey. And you want to talk about you, you, somebody like us, well, you, you decide your spouse decides she wants to get clean. But then the next thing you're like, where do you even go to get treatment? It, we didn't even know where to go to too. get treatment. That's why I love what you guys are doing. You guys have a dang podcast, man. This is perfect. <laughs> yeah. I, because back then, you didn't know where to go. Mm. And um, finally, we found a place, uh, the Farley Center um, up in Williamsburg, Virginia, is, uh, is where she went. And um, she went there. I had to go to my team, my SEAL team, and tell them what was happening. And of course that was tough because I basically had to say hey seal team my wife decided she wants to get off first she has a she she's an addict she decides she wants to get clean I can't go and be a seal anymore I have to be home because she's she's in this inpatient place for a long time like we had dogs chickens I have to be home that was tough yeah. man <laughs>
2: So you know, that was how your career was, was pretty much wrapped up or, you, yeah. or you just stopped. So at that point you stopped working like you were working before. and you stayed Yeah. Home. So I stopped
3: operating at that point And then I became a SEAL instructor, which was a, which was a wonderful blessing uh, because I learned a lot there at the, the, the tail, the, the later end of my career as an instructor for that last about three years um, as an instructor, was a, was a great gift, um, to me. Cause I learned that I was passionate about teaching. Right. Mm. And, um, so man, I haven't told that story in a long time, but. Okay, uh, so,
2: so then, so does she, so she recovers and, you know, it's, a, it's a process, but she gets out of the treatment center. She comes home and, and things are okay and slowly getting better. And Is that how it is? Or is there a lot of ups and downs or did she kind of stay on the track when she got back?
3: Oh no, there's ups and downs, son. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you can, you can. Of course, me, I got to learn a lot through the the process because I would go to um, to her recovery center, and you know, once a week we would have the family time, and and I'd get to be in there with her and and uh, and the people that she was there with, and I and the her counselors were teaching me about what they were doing, and um, I knew, I, I learned, I guess that. This wasn't just a, a end all, be all, right? So when the she one did, and done, one and done, yeah. So when she got out, <laughs> um, there there were a lot of ups and downs. I mean there there were there were relapses, there were um, there were hard times. I, I remember specifically, it was so funny. Uh, I say funny, it's funny looking back on it now. I remember she got out, and one of the first days that she had got back home. She was clean at that point. She hadn't relapsed and uh she uh we went out to ride bicycles on a trail. And I remember she she looked back at me and she said, "This is it." This this is life."
0: Mm.
3: And I was like, "Yeah, this is this is what life is. <laughs> it's it's we come out here, we we get to ride our bicycles and see this beautiful nature. And then you go home and you got dishes to wash and you, you got, (laughs) you got work to do. And, and like, you know, there's, and and I just, that was a, an epiphany for me. Like this was her first time experiencing what life really was as an adult. Yeah. And it didn't seem too exciting to her. It's like, (laughs) no, (laughs) yeah, this is all it.
0: Yeah, it's it's different when you're high, I guess.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's all yeah. It's, you're just in a you're you're in a whole different reality, really. I guess is what what was happening, and and I can't see it from her perspective, but that was my understanding of it. Um, but we stayed Definitely together part
1: of the trap. part of the trap, you know, this is boring. Being sober is boring. Yeah, but being high is so much fun. So it's part of the trap of getting sober is learning how to have fun being sober. Oh, man, right. Because you're
2: dependent upon a substance taking a pill or something to give you your, you know, entertainment, your stimulation. And when you don't have that, you're not being stimulated by the word. You got to learn how to reengage with the world again so that you then are stimulated by what's there. You, know, you don't see it at first. You don't see the beauty or you don't see the nature. You don't you don't feel it because you've just been used to taking a substance for your stimulation.
3: And th- this is why I'm so, you, you know, it, it really ticks me off, man, when, when I see and, and look, man, this is just me. You, you guys don't have to have the same opinion as me. But I, I see guys like this Joe Rogan guy and um, and and, and, he, and even some other big influencers that that promote smoking weed that promote um this these psychedelic drugs and promote all this stuff and, and I'm like are you serious dude like you are obviously a unhappy person if you need to get high to experience the fullness of life that life has to offer like you need you need to step back and think about that man And and it's, and everybody, you know, this, this whole, this whole thing is, it's front and center in our society. And and it's just, it's just the, it's just a bias. It shows me that all these people that think that they're, that they've got it all figured out. They don't got it figured out, man, because I don't need any substance to experience the fullness of life every single day, man. And for these guys that are influencers to promote things like that, it's so screwed up, man. Because people are looking up to these to these influencers, and to me, I'll, I'm gonna go on his podcast one day, and I'm gonna freaking, I'm gonna ream him for that.
0: Yeah, that would be my favorite episode ever. I'm uh, glad, uh, you, I'm glad you said that, though. It would be good. Th- it would would, be good
2: listening. How do I y'all feel about that? that-
0: Dude, I was about to say, I would venture to say we all feel the exact same way. I have a big a big button on that as well, and I get that it's it's their experience that they need or in or would prefer to have weed or mushrooms to experience the fullness of life. It's a shortcut. It's a hack. I get that it's easier to do that. Whereas you put yourself, what comes up for me, Chad, is is your spiritual experience in the marines with God. Like you didn't need drugs for that and the experience that you had was as full and as life changing as it gets and you didn't need anything to have that so but it did take a lot of work and a lot of life and a lot of ups and downs to have it so it's it's just kind of the my view on it it's it's the simple like taking the easy way and that doesn't produce much results.
1: Yeah, and just to add to what Dallas is saying, I've been asked a few times on some podcasts I've been on like what what my stance or viewpoint is, and I'm never gonna give somebody the okay to do that because it might be okay for you or that individual person, but for another person, just smoking pot might lead to heroin, it might lead to way harder things. And by you saying it's okay to do this one thing, you never know when that slippery slope is getting they're going to do that one thing and for them it ends up being a whole lot worse so you know where do you where do you draw the line what is okay what isn't okay what's okay for some person what's not okay for some person um it's your way is the best way by far the way we all operate
3: yeah and i love that you that you guys point out the fact that it's a shortcut look i get high i get high as a kite i hallucinate i see the craziest things at the end of a 30-hour long 106-mile foot race. It takes a freaking <laughs> work, man. You wanna have a you wanna have a, a, a psychedelic experience? Go run a hundred-mile foot race through the mountains. I can promise you, when you get to the end of it, you are going to be seeing the craziest stuff. You're gonna be having a blast, man. Now your body's going to hurt as soon as you stop and slow down and, and take a wrap off. But you know, uh, you're right, man. You can get, you can get the fullness of life if you're willing to put in the work. And I'm so sick of, of seeing people take shortcuts. People think that there's a secret to any of this. I haven't even talked about my running. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, no, there's no secret to it. It's,
2: it's the work, man. Yeah, I was just about to say, so let's, you know, because I, I got some things up in the Proving Ground lessons that I have that we want to get to. So, so let's, let's kind of get into that. So you, when did the running start? So it, We left off where your, you know, your wife was, was going through ups and downs, all that kind of stuff up to the Proving Ground, you know, and, or the three of seven project that you founded. So, so at what point did you start running for 50 miles at a time or, or whatever? Like, how did that happen?
3: I started running about, uh, I'm gonna say, about eight months before I got out of the Navy. So I knew my my SEAL career was co- going to come to an end, um, and i i I knew that I was going to need something in my life that was going to challenge me on a high level personally. Uh, so I i I enjoyed running throughout my career in the SEAL teams. And my one of my teammates said, "Hey, there's this race in the mountains of Virginia, and it's 50 miles long." Of course, I didn't think that. I had never heard of anybody running that far, and uh, I said, "Well, all right, man, we'll go and do it." And we went and did this race, and and it it literally obliterated me.
2: Like, I mean, did you finish it? Were you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. How long? How long does that take?
3: I think I probably, I think I finished that 50 miler and it was nine or 10 hours probably. Um, well, straight, wow.
2: running. No yeah, yeah,
3: straight running. Yeah. Yes. Straight running. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, now I mean, I look at a 50 miler as a sprint, but when you're first getting <laughs> started, you know, it's uh it's a big achievement. And, and I'll never forget after that, I went and ran another 50 miler and I got like, I got like sixth place or something. And uh my buddy that I had ran the first one with, he said, uh Chad, you can you you can actually be good at this, man, if you want to pursue this. And um, and I said, Yeah, you know, I'm enjoying it. And and yeah, I did pretty good. This is my only second one. And uh I just continued to pursue it and and it was challenging me on a high level. And, And really, what running has become for me, ultra running in particular, I've gotten to the point now that. If I go run a race, I'm going to be – if I don't win it, I'm going to be in the top five. Every, I mean, I'll take all comers. I don't care who you are. Uh, then we got a race coming up in June, the Mid-State Mile. I won it last year. It's a last-man-standing race. It keeps going until only one person's left. We got runners coming. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, we got runners coming from all over the world, man, uh, or from all over the nation because they want to beat me um because i won it last year and and now i'm some big you know social media guy whatever you know and and uh i i don't believe that anybody in the world can beat me at that race uh, what about david goggins oh don't get me started on that guy
2: Oh, <laughs> a, can, a can of worms just got opened right now what just happened you know man
3: uh i i try to I try to be respectful to all people. I, I, I think the I think the major issue with this guy, I have I have a few issues with this guy's message. One issue is the way he portrays the SEAL teams. You know why he was you know why he wasn't a good SEAL? Because he could not work as a team member. He's an individual. And that's an issue in my book. Um I can see that. Yeah yeah he he could never assimilate into a team and and for for, so, for society to look up to someone that can't assimilate into a team that's a bad mentor to have all right and uh and, and so that and also the, the whole message of uh just stay hard and just you know be tough all the time it's like it's like dude you don't have to blow smoke up my butt dude i know what i know <laughs> what it's like man when life freaking gets hard, yeah, you got to have a place inside of you where you can go to and get the job done. But when that job is done, you got to be able to come home and love your wife, your husband, your, your family members. You got to be, be a normal dude. Sit down, and eat some dang ice cream, man. Uh, whatever you want to do. But you got to have that place like Dan has. Dan's got that. I seen Dan coming up a freaking flight of stairs. He couldn't even walk. He was still going. He had, he, Dan has a place inside of him that he can go to get the freaking job done, man. But guess what? When Dan got back home, I hope to God he took a wrap off and said, that was an awesome accomplishment. I'm going to take a day or two to rest. I'm going to love, it. I'm going I'm to love on Angie a little bit. I'm going to, I'm just going to be a, a regular dude, man. And so that's my, my thing is be hard when it gets hard. Be hard when life gets hard. Right, but you don't have to do that all the time. It's so unsustainable and it sets people up for failure. It right. it really does. Yes.
0: Um Yeah, there's gotta be some sort of balance or moderation. It can't be all or nothing for anything. That's right.
3: That's
1: so yeah. and no. I, I will say he didn't he came straight into work. We had our two day uh quarterly uh, annual retreat. So he, he went right back into work. I he will tell you that. this. But so he, took, he took the next weekend off. Don't worry. Check, check, in, check
2: this out though. I'm going to tell this story real quick. Okay. So when I got done with the proving ground, I went to Atlanta airport to fly home, right? The, 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 we had the next, the day, This you know, we, we ended it off and, and we all hugged and, and went our separate ways. And I, and I went to Atlanta airport to fly home and I was so out of it that I looked on my boarding pass and it said that my seat was like B24. So I went to gate B24 and sat down and passed out, boom. I was out like a light. I had like a, I was like, oh, I gotta wait three hours. This sucks, boom. Three hours went in a second. And so someone's calling on the loudspeaker, blah, 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 blah. And it wakes me up and I get drool. Like I I was out like a light. And I I wake up (laughs) and I look at my boarding pass and I realize I am nowhere near where I need to be and my flight's about to board. So I like shake off the cobwebs and run across the airport. I was there three hours early and I'm sprinting across the airport to try to make my plane because I was so exhausted and out of it. And I I just had such an intense experience that I just barely made it on the plane. Yeah, man. And then I slept on the whole thing, the whole, the whole, I think I was nonstop because I was out the whole time. I was exhausted, but it was amazing. I mean, it, it was such an intense experience. I want to get into that a little bit. Well,
1: and it was, and it was great because he came back so fired up. Like I said, he came right into our annual meeting. He was so fired up with what he had learned with you and the tools and shared his experience with our group that it fired everybody else up to take on the year and, and do all the things. And, um, it, like how we could integrate a lot of what he learned into elevate going forward, uh, especially with our exec team. It was, he was, he was on yeah fire. Man, I want to send
2: awesome. my, I want to send my management team to the proving grounds. You know what I mean? Like I, that's, that's what I come back thinking like, this is some real deal leadership life training that I want my guys to like experience. Well, brother,
3: we'd love to have them, man, and and registration for uh, three troop twenty twenty two, January twenty twenty two is open on the website, so that's there. Um, and, and I, I just want to goes back, Dan, that that story in the and the story of our friendship goes back to the original question I was about to answer before Angie had to lure me in with a dang David Goggins comment. Um, uh,
1: if I had known. But,
3: Back to my original train of thought, what running has become for me, and I run hard and, and, and I and I do this because I feel like if a man like Dan is going to invest his money and his time into coming out and spending time with me, right? I need to be doing something in my own personal life that essentially qualifies me to be able to, to be able to, to be Dan's instructor for a weekend. Like if I would have just retired from the SEAL teams and just stopped there to me, to me, I would not be doing my students justice, right? Right. So, ultra running has become for me a, a thing that I can go and do, that I can really dig deep within myself. I can cleanse myself. I can build new content. I can learn new lessons about life and about myself. And I hope that my brothers and sisters that watch me um, and that trust me with their time, uh, I hope that. I'm in a way earning that right. And if I ever stop earning that right, stop listening to me. Don't come and do what I do. And if you if you have someone in your life that you look up to as maybe your mentor or or something like this or that, and they they're not doing something on a regular basis to earn that right. To be someone that you look up to, or someone that you want to learn from, maybe not even look up to, because Dan doesn't look up to me. Dan's a hard dude. Dan, we and Dan can learn from each other. All right. So if, if it's somebody that you want to learn from, make sure that that you maybe analyze them a little bit and say, What is this dude doing? Right? Why should I go and learn from him? And that's what running has become to me. One one aspect. Oh, go back to Joe Rogan. What the crap has Joe Rogan done? He's a freaking comedian. Why am I going to try to learn from this guy? He's a comedian, and he has a lot of money. He's, how can he mentor me? So that, that running, uh, going out and running a race like the Mid-State Mile and grinding myself just down to nothing, man, it's like, okay, I hope my brothers and sisters see this. I'm doing it for them,
2: and that's what it is to me now. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, at The Proving Ground, everyone was terrified of, of disappointing you because they knew that you weren't asking us to do anything you couldn't do with your eyes closed and blindfolded, one hand behind your back. And so if we were going to complain or whatever, that, that wasn't going to fly. And that's what we all signed up for, you know, and, and, and we all kicked each other in the butt and, and we all also picked each other up when we were down. And it, that was a, such a cool experience. Talk about a team. Right. I mean, you're talking that we we did some some exercises, you know, like in the middle of the night. I think, you know, I won't won't get into that, but some 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 drills in the middle of the night with headlamps on in in very cold conditions that was intense. and, And but it was it was teamwork. And it was like we were a chaotic mess of individuals like, you know, and we were all exhausted and, you know, just freaking out. And I'm like, you know. And then within a short amount of time, we are a team. And that was an incredible, important lesson. And like, you get, you know, you get it. Like, it's like a, wow. Okay. So when we're all trying to do things ourselves as individuals, it's a lot harder than when we all like come together and do something. And like, it was a powerful lesson.
3: A hundred percent, brother. It's impossible. It is Im- that mission at the proving ground specifically, you know, Dan, because you know now what happens. It is impossible to do that by yourself. You you just simply can't do it, right? And and that goes back again to that that mindset of being an individual, why that's dangerous and why that's going to limit you as a human being for the rest of your life until you can get out of that mindset, until you can start thinking like a team member or a teammate or a team leader, whatever position you're in, uh, you'll be limited by that individualistic mindset. Man.
1: So, Chad, how does that work with you being such a team guy, which I love and appreciate? I'm a huge team person, too. But mon- running, uh, ultra marathon running is a very solo type activity. Mm-hmm. How, how do how do those two things, how do you have such a passion for that, but it's not such a team thing?
3: Well, it's a solo activity until you get about 80, 90, 100, 120 miles deep. Right. And, and that's the reason I Ultra run, particularly, instead of running a fast marathon or 10K, because ultra running is a team effort. Um, I-, I can tell you, last year at the Mid-State Mile, I ran for 30 hours straight uh, just a- and just over 35,000 feet of climbing and descent. So um, essentially, I ran 30 hours straight up Everest from sea level and back down the other side. Would be the equivalent, right? Um, wow. And there was a team of people that were there, serving me, fueling me, making sure that I was good, pushing me, and I, and in turn, I was serving them by staying out there and grinding because I was their racehorse, right? Mm-hmm. I was their racehorse. Mm-hmm. They were my handlers. We were a team. Anytime, if there would have been any friction between my relationship with my team that day or their relationship with me, if they thought if they thought I wasn't giving it all I had and I was cheating, I was cheating them as their race. Of course, that would have that would have everything would have fell apart. Right. So it is ultra running is a team effort for sure. And then most especially now with three of seven project and now I have men like Dan in my life. Um, I have, I have, uh, other men and women that, that I have met at the basic course and at the proving grounds that, that we run now there's a team and community building around our business. Uh, now in my, my business, my business model is the same business model Jesus Christ used. Um, everyone that's that comes as part of our event, they are part of the body of three of seven project, my business, right? And we believe in force multiplier. So you come out to the proving grounds, we're gonna train you up, give you everything that that we've got. Now you're the part of the body of three of seven project. Now I wanna send you out into the world. And my, my return on investment is you going out into the world and sharing the important parts of the mission with the people on your team or in your community or the people that you can influence. So it's a force multiplier. It's the same thing Jesus Christ did, and it worked. He literally, some poor Jewish guy and a bunch of redneck fishermen, turned the freaking world upside down with this business model.
0: <laughs> so, Chad, what is three of seven? What what does that originate from or come from? I'm sorry if I should know this, but what is no what does man? That come uh, from?
3: Not most people don't know it. I mean, a lot of people come out to our events don't even know what it is, and it's a very vague. Um, I guess, poor thing to name a business, but I like it because it generates conversation, right? Um, and, and yeah, so, here we are. Uh, I'm a nu- I am mean, I'm really a numbers guy. I pay attention to numbers in my life. Um, you know, I think numbers have meanings, even something as simple as my buds class number 278. Um, you see numbers pop up in different places uh, and not saying that I'm, I'm, I don't think that this is something that you should just like become overwhelmed with. Right. But I like numbers and Uh, The three is representative of the three aspects of us as human beings. So I believe we were created in the likeness and image of God. Uh, God is a triune being, God, the father, the son, which is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, which lives within us. We are also triune beings that we have our body, our flesh, right? Our soul is our mind, will and emotions. And our spirit is the part that sets us apart or makes us different from every other animal. On Earth is that Spirit, right? Um, it's we could describe. We spend an hour describing Spirit, but let me ask you this: Have you ever seen a? Have you ever seen a deer standing on a hilltop watching uh, a magnificent sunset? They can't appreciate it, man. Other animals cannot appreciate creation. They just are. They just they they just it they they are part of creation, but they they cannot see the magnificence or the intelligent design of it, right? So that spiritual aspect of us, that's the eternal part of us that connects us with our creator. Um, So at 3 of 7 Project, we try to help everyone find ways to master, nourish and maintain their body, their soul, which is their mind, will and emotions and their spirit, their spiritual life in order to achieve the seven, the seven is the biblical number for completion. Anytime in the Bible something happens seven times, it's totally complete. All this mess right here was created in how many days?
2: Seven.
3: On the seventh day, it was done, right? They marched around the walls of Jericho how many times? Seven times, and they fell to the ground. Anytime you see that number seven in the Bible, you know it's something that it's, it's, it's com- totally complete so if we can we can focus on those three aspects of us for me what does that look like my spirit every morning i give the first fruits of my day to god and that is by spending time in his word or meditating if you want to call it that i call it prayer all right that's every morning as soon as i get done with that time uh i go out and i train and i train right that's my body right and and a lot of times the way that i train I'm actually training my soul at the same time because maybe I don't want to go train that morning. But guess what? Oh, yeah. I got to get up and go train, man. And there you're bringing your soul, your your will, what you want to do. You're bringing that into subjection. Right. And uh, get done training. And then I work. And my work is a lot about the, the soul. The three of seven podcast, we talk a lot about mindset stuff, right? At the, at the, uh, at the premium grounds, we talk a lot about mindset. That is the soul essentially is all that mindset stuff. It's encompassed by the soul. So that's what my day looks like every day. I mean, I'm intentional about hitting all three aspects of me to be as complete as I can possibly be for you guys, because you asked me to come on your podcast. So I owe you that.
2: Well, and it's really, wow, interesting. we're
1: thankful for that.
2: It's really interesting. So you talk about mindset and it's like, most people think, and you know, look, I'm not a runner. I, I barely run. In fact, when I did the proving ground, I think I ran, I haven't run a mile since high school. You know, I'm not, I'm not, that's not me at all, but uh mindset, it really wasn't. And I learned this in the proving ground and, and many people who said they were runners and stuff. They're like, it's mental. It's fit. Yes. Of course it's physical. Your feet are going like this and your body's banging around all that kind of stuff. But it's all mental, you have to have the mindset to get it done. And that's like, I mean, Angie and Dallas are big CrossFitters. And so you know, and they talk about it too, like, you got to be just mentally ready to experience that tough workout and get through it. And it's not how strong you are, it's how mentally tough you are to get through it.
3: And mindset is very, very simple, guys. Let me just give you real quick the, the three pillars of my mindset that get me through every ultramarathon, that have gotten me through my marriage, that have got me, Dan, you've heard these before, got me through any hard thing I've ever done in my life. Very, very simple. This is so simple that you're going to try to nuke it. If you're listening to this show, you're going to try to nuke this. But it's so simple. that That's just the way my mind works. The first one is being patient. Being patient, being patient with three things, that process that we're all enduring, right? Being patient with our teammates, the people that you're surrounded by. Being patient with yourself when you screw stuff up, because you're going to screw stuff up, but you got to be patient with yourself. Being present. When I won that Mid-State Mile race last year. It came down to me and one other guy, Greg Armstrong. Greg ran for the American National Ultra Running Team. He had a resume that would put mine to shame. I didn't think I could beat him until a single moment. He came to me uh, when we were about, I don't know, I don't know how 90 miles into this race or something. And he said, Chad, we got six hours till we reach 100 miles. And uh, I just looked at him and smiled because I knew in that moment that victory was mine that he could not beat me anymore because he was no longer present, right? I was focused on the mile that I had to run in that moment in order to stay in the race. He was looking six hours or however many hours ahead at what was potentially coming, Mm all right? And I knew in that moment he couldn't beat me, and there was actually a physical response to that. When he overextended himself mentally, his body started to shut down. And he got to the point that he could no longer even walk, and he collapsed across the finish line. Um, So being patient, being present, and being deliberate. Being deliberate about not only your actions, the things that you actually do in an ultra run. If I'm not deliberate about my steps, and I step in a hole, or you're not deliberate at CrossFit about a box jump, and you slam your shin in the side of the box, or you twist your knee wrong, you're you're out of the game, right? That's me, man. But also being deliberate about your words. Obviously, my ears perk up. Dan said, "Oh, I'm not a runner, man. That's bullcrap, man. You are whatever you want to be, dude." <laughs> being deliberate—I mean, super deliberate. I don't—I cu- don't cuss. Y'all realize that, right? Obviously, y'all know. I, was,
0: I picked up on y'all, it.
3: y'all. Y'all know I'm a Jesus man, but it ain't because I'm a Jesus man. It's because, it's because these are minor things, right? That are going to take you from being average to bring, to being freaking extraordinary, to being better than everyone else around you. It's just a little bit, this little thing like cursing, right? None of those words, none of those curse words in and of themselves has a have a positive meaning. They're not speaking any life into your situations. They're not, they're not making, they're actually, they're actually dragging you down. You may look, y'all think I'm crazy. Look, you want to be elite You make these little bitty changes, right? Something like that, being very conscious and deliberate about the things that you allow to come out of your mouth. Not only was this proven in combat and ultra running, this is biblical. Being deliberate about the input, hyper aware of what you're allowing to come in. So not only what's going out, but what you're allowing to come in. All right, that's extremely important. Those are the three things that have forged that I guess those are the foundations of my mindset, right? So just to give you guys a tangible picture, when me and Dan talk about mindset, these are the things that we're talking about building, forging, practicing, uh, and enhancing. Things as simple as patient, being present, being deliberate, right?
2: Yeah. And it's so interesting wow. how being patient, being present, and being deliberate in your actions, your thoughts, your intentions is a such a good parallel for being sober, right? For recovery. Because we, you know, we, we do mindfulness at Elevate and we get people to stop and be present and, you know, become aware of what's going on, stop the race in their head and all that kind of stuff. They have to be patient. They all want to get into rehab and get out two weeks later and go on, live with their life. They can't, they got work to do. They got to be patient. It's going to take a while. You know, they have to be deliberate with how they communicate with their family. It's got to be different. They've got to make amends. They've got to, you know, they got to own their experience. And and so I think the, the three pillars are just such a, so relevant for running a hundred miles at a time or more, but also, you know, living a life of recovery. You know, it, it's, those things are like the f- foundational tools of success. Yes.
1: Yeah. When you said deliberate and being aware of what's coming in, it also reminded me of, you know, recognizing toxicness that is influencing you. Uh, And and I like that half of the deliberate that you talked about, because obviously we can be deliberate in our actions and thoughts, but are we being deliberate about what's coming in and creating, you know, unease in our bodies and minds? So I I love that part too, because you have to address the toxicity, at least, you know, when you're getting sober to recognize what it is and where it's coming from.
3: A hundred percent. Truth is truth, right? We can apply truth to all aspects of our life
2: absolutely
1: 100 percent.
2: so i i took a note here of, of, of this thing that i was so w- w- when you're doing the proving ground you're doing all this physical stuff you're doing this psychological stuff you know all this crazy stuff i'm just i won't get into it it's a, it's a you got to go there but there is like and i didn't know this and of course how could i have known it because i didn't know anything about it but a lot of it is also sitting in a room and, and talking and, and and discussing some some very intense things, which I was like, Whoa, this is, this is intense. It was amazing. And, and one of these things that you said, and I, I think I asked you a question. I don't even remember what I asked, but I was like, dude, you've been in Navy SEAL. You, you, you've been in combat. You've been in like the gnarliest you know situations and, and stuff like that. Like what, what was it that, you know, how do you overcome fear and fearing, you know, failure, like all that stuff that, that, that holds people back. And and, and then how does that relate into your life? And you, you said something, I'm, going to try, I'm probably not going to do it justice, but you said you can set yourself up so that you never fail. You always succeed. And the way that you do that is that you set a standard for yourself and you live up to that standard honestly and truthfully. Now, you may not win the race, but you will, you will finish the race if your standard is to run it and finish it, you, you know, and, and so – What happens is, is that people think in life, oh, well, I got to win. And if I don't win, I failed. Well, no, you didn't fail. You fail when you quit. Right. And it was that difference of like, if you, you know, if you don't quit, you're not failing. And I was like, and and I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but in my mind, I was like, wow. So anything you want to do in your life, as long as you set that standard of not quitting and you don't, you're not failing. You may not be the best guitar player in the world that run the best race or win, and, or win, but you are comparing yourself to yourself and you're holding that standard. And it's only when people quit and say, I'm not, good, you know, I'm not good enough, I quit, that then they fail. And that's when all the negative emotions and all those kinds of things come in. And I think you gave an example of running one of these ultra marathons and it's like, a, I don't know if it, what it was, 100 mile race or whatever. And you knew like two hours in, of this massive 40 hour race or whatever it was you knew you weren't going to win but you ran it anyway and you could have faked an injury and everyone would have believed you and all that kind of stuff but you didn't and you ran it to the end knowing you weren't going to win it because that was the standard and i was like wow that is amazing
3: yeah it's a totally different perspective on life when when you talk about living to a standard versus a result when you live to a standard. Uh, The standard is what is important and the results can fall where they may. Um, And let's talk about what it means to not quit. Not quitting doesn't mean that you're always going to reach your objective. Not quitting means that you are going to go as hard and as far, as fast as you can possibly go. Right. Until something either completely stops you in ultra running, your body shuts down or something, an obstacle is placed before you that you, you, you're going to, you have to, you have to find a way around it, right? So not quitting doesn't mean you're going to follow a straight line from where you are to your objective. Um, And and you have to be honest, you know, you can't judge other people, even in ultra running, you know, if somebody bows out of a race, um, they have to judge themselves. You are, you are your own judge when it comes to not quitting, uh, because only you know if that's as far as you could possibly go, right? And and if you feel good about that, then you didn't quit, man. You just went as far and as hard as you could possibly go on that day, and that is what not quitting is, right? I told you guys about boiling those results down into two options. I break my body or I cross the finish line. That's what not quitting looks like to me. I didn't say I'm going to cross the finish line every time because I I, I might break my body first. And uh and that's fine. But yeah, on the uh the, the Georgia Jewel was a perfect example of that this year. It's a hundred-mile race in the mountains of North Georgia. Um I was the I was kind of the the pick to win that race. And uh I had placed second place at it the year before, and I was coming back with a vengeance. We got we got deep into this thing. We were a little deeper into it than you said, Dan. I think I was about at mile 60, which is you still got a long ways to go in a hundred mile, or you still got 40 miles to go. It was the middle of the night. And what happens when you run these races sometimes is all the blood is being pumped to your extremities, your legs in particular. And so your, your stomach doesn't have blood, a lot of blood in it. And you you have to eat during these races. So uh, your digestion of your food can become really, really painful because your stomach stops working. This doesn't happen every time, but on this particular race, it happened to me. And it's excruciating pain, and uh, I was running out front, first or second place. I don't remember exactly when my stomach kind of started to shut down, and um, I found myself shortly after laying in the fetal position on the side of a some trail in the middle of the night in the mountains, and I couldn't move because it hurt so bad. And uh, as I'm laying there in my headlamp, I see second place go by me. I see third place go by me. I see fourth place go by me, right, and I knew. Yeah, victory. The result that I was trying to achieve was no longer attainable. But my standard is just like Dan said to not quit. Right. Along with many other things, not quitting is a foundational standard. There are other standards like integrity, honor, um, service to your teammates, all this stuff that's composed in the creed. Um, But I got up, got on my feet when my stomach settled down and I continued mission. And, uh, and I ended up finishing that race in fifth place, which was way off what I wanted to finish, which was first place. But, you know, when I did get up and start moving again, you know, you, you think, why are you doing this? You're, 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 you are you are you you can not win. And, and even maybe, why don't you just cut this trail a little short here? Why don't you just cut some miles off? You're not in the race anymore. You're, you're not, you're not running for first anymore. Why don't you just cut cut this switch back off and, and finish this thing a little sooner? But you fall back on the standard, right? The standard is integrity. The standard is not quitting. Integrity is essentially doing the right thing when no one's watching. If you guys don't understand that honor is doing the right thing. Integrity is a little harder than honor. Um, Nobody was watching me out there on the trail. So you have every opportunity to make your life easier and cut the trail. Um, But if you have chosen to live your life to a standard, uh, that's a that's a wonderful thing, man. It's a wonderful thing. But you have to identify your standard. Ultimately, for me, the Bible is the st- is my standard. But the Bible's a big book. I've been studying it for over nine years. I still don't know it all. Don't even close to know it all. So I've really boiled this, the 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 key parts of that standard down into what I call a creed. I would um, encourage any of your listeners to develop a creed for themselves that they can go back to when a decision needs to be made. And they can make sure that their decision is in alignment with the moral, ethical, um, uh, spiritual, whatever principles that are contained within that standard they've written for themselves.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, what, what, I, what was racing through my mind after that lesson when I was thinking of it was like these young people in society, in the social media world that we've got in front of us now it, is that everyone's they're being bombarded with, they have to be more beautiful. They have to be perfect. They have to win everything. They have to have a lot of money. They have to have all these things or they're failures, right? I mean, it's that, it's that kind of thing. It's like, well, you got, if you don't win, you, you're a loser, right? Or, or whatever. And it's such a toxic mindset and it's something that, that depresses people, right? Because they, not everybody can win every race, right? But everybody can set their standard and live up to their standard. And it's like, when you said that I was like walking home, or walking back to the to the the barrack, right and it was like wow so if the if this if everyone took that mindset shift then everyone would be happily progressing towards whatever they want and no one would feel bad about themselves right some there would be some people that won and some people that didn't win but they wouldn't have that loser mentality which i think is just so toxic and especially for these young kids growing up bombarded with you know all these videos and social media it's it's tough on them
3: At that point, yeah. At that point, you're comparing yourself to the standard. You're not comparing yourself to another human being, right? And that's a much more healthy thing to do. And by the way, if you don't miss the mark on your standard sometimes, you need to set your standard higher. Mm -hmm. Um, I miss the mark on mine sometimes, and then that's when I do feel bad. So it's great when you're comparing yourself to a standard and you don't hit it, you don't meet the mark. It's so you feel upset about that. Right. But that's much more healthy than comparing yourself to another human being and feeling bad that you're not like that other human being. Right. That's a great that's a great thought that you had, Dan. I'm going to add that to my curriculum, man.
2: Well, it was. So, yeah, it was what I realized. And I was like, I was telling the guys back in the in the, you know, in the cabin. And I was like, oh, my gosh, because, you know, look, we deal with people who come into treatment and they feel like losers right they feel like failures they feel like they're like how come I can't like I, the, my older brother he never got into drugs and he's a successful lawyer they're always comparing themselves to somebody else and not to themselves and and it's like you know Dallas work one on one with these guys a lot and I'm sure it's like the conversation goes something like hey look let's just improve where you are today and try to get better and let's not worry about what your brother's doing or whatever and and it's like we're trying to we're trying to get you better and and let's you know let's get you down that path and, and it's i think it's just such an important lesson for people to not compare themselves to each other but but learn how to set the goals for themselves and get them you know compare themselves to where they were yesterday or last year or whatever. Dallas, you, you any experience with this with working with people that you think that this is relevant?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it comes up all the time. I feel like most people's negative self-talk, most people's suffering comes directly from a comparison. You know, and I always say, you know, if everyone was five foot five, no one would be tall or short, you know, if everyone was overweight, none of us would be overweight. So it's like the, the negativity or the judgment or, you know, the, we're not good enough only comes from when we compare ourselves to other people and to what degree does any of the other people matter? You know, so always just turn it right back to them.
2: And it's, it's a trap, you know, it's a trap where you can't win because you aren't that other person you aren't going to have as much money as Warren Buffett You're, you aren't going to you know run as long and fast as is Wright, right you know you, it, whatever it's like that's not real and we will talk back to what we were talking about originally but your purpose your unique your unique mission and reason for being here and everything and and if you start comparing yourself to other people like it's just it's just wrong but I, you know for me when i was thinking about it i didn't know what to compare my what do i compare it to then if i don't compare it to somebody else the standard and it's like okay you create a standard and you set it and you're comparing against that. And that was really just a powerful statement for me. I love
1: that. Much. CrossFit was really good for that for me because it has the standard. Here's your standard. And then you know where you are, but you're always just sort of com- you can compete I mean, for me at my age and competing against the guys, I'm never going to be as fast as them or lift as heavy as them, but what is my standard or what is the woman's standard or my age demographic standard? You know, it's, you you can set it so that you it's achievable, but it's also not devastating when you don't reach the standard. I will never be as fast as Dallas and it is what it is. <laughs> I mean fast guy, it's pretty awesome. But um but I, I I like that mindset because you know, that's what I have to go into when I go into CrossFit and Dallas will be like, Yeah, it is a little heavy and It's a lot of reps. You can cut here, you can do this and I'm like, Wait, what? Why would I do that? And so he just reverse psychologies me when I think I can't do it. And then it makes me want to do it even more because I know I have that standard. And although I was looking for him to give me permission to take the easy way out, I know at the end of the day, I'm not going to be happy with myself if I do that. And so, uh, but again, that comes with time and practice. It's not something that's really natural for a lot of people. It just takes like comfort and ease and doing things where you can find and be comfortable with having that standard there, I think.
3: Yeah, 100%. And by the way, Dallas, I want to come compete against you in a CrossFit WOD sometime, So,
1: oh, I, oh let's do it! Yeah, let's do I it.
0: hope there's not a lot of running.
3: <laughs> <laughs> hey, Are you yeah, going to take we'll, the cake, we'll bro? Let, we'll let Angie design the uh, the the WOD, and we'll we'll, yes. we'll you can submit three strengths. I'll submit three strengths, and we'll go head to head oh
0: shit oh, i just out. got
3: nervous but let's do it <laughs> that's exciting
1: yeah that and great. we'll
0: bro- we have
3: a we have a gym too we'll broadcast yeah, we it we'll broadcast it on on some platform
2: and it's a lot of fun we'll fly you that'd back that'd be back awesome and dude gym and we'll have camera there'll, there'll be a yeah i gotta come great. out and see you guys man i really do
3: absolutely
1: i love that i love that challenge dallas doesn't feel challenged very often he just felt challenged right oh okay. you are yeah. that was so good <laughs> i love that
0: Hey, real quick, I went to a a gym I've never been to, like, uh, a couple days ago, and there was a lot of running, and this chick just kicked my ass. Just got me so good. (laughs) I was just chasing her, and the coach was like, hey, like, get her on this last lap. And I was like, dude, if I get this girl on the last lap, I will throw up on her as soon as I get to her. (laughs) I didn't get to her.
3: (laughs) Crossfitters don't traditionally like running, but runners don't traditionally like wall walks. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, oh, I I've gotten really into CrossFit. I say really into it. Um uh, I go I probably go 4 or 5 times a week at least um I'm nice. u- using it to supplement my running and it's really really great. Uh, and it's, it it stokes a lot of competitive spirit within me too because you know man when you go in that in that CrossFit gym or box or whatever you call it the, you just can't help it. You are you're You're good. You're, you guys like it's us, contagious. you're going to look to your left and right, and you're going to say, I'm going to be the first one done here today. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like its own addiction, you know? It is, oh, man. Yeah? It Some is. of my
1: biggest wins are when I beat Dallas in a wad. I think it happened twice. And I'm like, yes, I beat Dallas. Look at that. <laughs> Who would have thought?
2: Mm. It is That's awesome. I had one more thing from the proving ground that I that I wanted to bring up that was one of those important lessons to me. I, I had this little book that I brought with me and I got it right here that I had I was scribbling in, in the proving ground. Whenever we were talking, I was taking notes and reflecting on it and stuff like that, which was which was awesome. But, you know, I think, I think we were asking and we were getting honest and we were asking deep questions and stuff like that, which was, and Chad, you were vulnerable and like, it was like, it was incredible. Like I get chills thinking about some of these conversations we had, which is, which is amazing. So thank you for like opening yourself up to that. Cause you know, you're a unique person. You've, you've lived a very unique life. And for many of us, we can't conceive of what it's like to be shooting at people in other countries and, you know, having to, you know, deal with all that stuff. But I think that we, we kind of, it was towards the end where we were wrapping up, like, okay, so you, the Navy SEAL, you know, training and what you had to do to get there and then the ultra marathon running and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, so what, I think someone asked, like, so at what point does it get easy? Like, at what point does it like, okay, I got this now. Like, it gets easy. Like, is it at 50 miles? Or is it a hundred miles. And you're like, and you said something, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to say it right, but it was like, it just does. It doesn't get easier. You just build more capacity don't try to make it easy because you're going to set yourself up for failure. Right. And I think that that, it was like, like a CrossFit wad. Like if you go in and that wad is easy, like that's probably not, then you're probably not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Right. You're supposed to always keep pushing yourself. And so that mindset, again, kind of back to society, like the, they want to take the easy way out or whatever the shortcut or whatever. And it's like, that's not the way it's not the way with recovery. It's not the way with ultra running. It's not the way with a lot of things we do in life is that, it shouldn't be easy because you should be constantly pushing yourself for growth. And that was like, man, that is so relevant to recovery and life and all these things. And do you remember that conversation or was it, you were yeah. just rapping off?
3: Oh yeah, brother. I mean, yeah, that's a, I think, um, yeah, I think that's a societal like fat, like a fallacy of uh, the whole self-help culture and, and, you know, that, that you see either on Instagram or, or wherever. Is um you know there's so many people out there presenting these secrets. I I mean oh, whatever. I'll keep dropping names. Look at this Greg Cardone guy, <laughs> yep. whatever he is. Uh, he, he freaking yep. telling me you can ten he can ten x your life like for real. Um, you know I forget the other guy's name, Tony. I I don't know. There's a bunch of them out there. These big big wigs in this space, and and they're they're trying to tell you that they have some secret to. And, and to make your life easier, and, and anytime I hear that, I'm like that. I'm like, well, that's that's not the objective. Uh, the The reason that we train, the reason that that we push ourselves, is never the objective is never to make life easier. It's to just to complete, uh, increase our capacity to endure in life, and that's for me. in, in running, I don't care how much faster I get. Uh, uh, or how much better I get at running, I'm just going to go faster. The better I get, I'm just going to go faster. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, that six minute mile that I'm running, it hurts just as bad as the eight minute mile I was running two years ago. The pain is the same. Mm-hmm. I just have more capacity to take life on, right. Mm-hmm. And to pour into others and and serve as a team member. And, yeah, that's all it is. I appreciate you bringing that up, Dan. That's a solid lesson, man. I I don't, I, I don't always remember to share that. So.
2: Yeah, it was, it, it was profound, you know, because it's, you, you just, you're not supposed to try to make it easy. And, and I think that's just, we hear it so much in society. And so, and it, and it makes things, it makes things, it's not, it's simple. It's not easy. It, you know, it's simple because it's just work hard, right? It's, stop trying to find the shortcut stop trying to find the hack stop trying to find the thing that's gonna make you lose 20 pounds in three days or what you know it's just it just work you know that's it Mm -hmm. simple
3: yeah you're wasting energy trying to find the secret
2: right (laughs) right and that's and and again like we're a recovery podcast right so it's like with recovery it's the same thing like there will be days that aren't easy there will be days that suck you know, but you know, if your standard, your goal is to remain, you know, sober, like then you got to get through that. That's, that's part of the process. And that's why I I always try to tie it back because, you know, that's, that's what we do. And that's what we're trying to, you know, to to teach people that come to the program and stuff like that. And these lessons are just so relevant to the recovery community. It's just like, awesome.
3: Well, I'm honored to be able to come on here and share, man, we covered a lot of stuff on this episode. I, I hope, i really you can ask dan i don't usually talk this much but i was so pumped about coming on this show and i wanted to make sure we got plenty of content for your listeners to uh to take and apply on the battlefield of life man yeah. um, um and, and within their yeah, recovery yeah. journey i just love what you guys are doing man
2: yeah no, absolutely
0: yeah thank you so much chad this has been awesome and i think there's there's a there's a well full of content in here for, for everybody. You know, life is, life is difficult for all of us. So hopefully that, you know, they have something to take away from this and talking to you has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on here.
1: Yeah. Thank you. You, you make it very comfortable and easy to have just a great conversation. I appreciate that.
3: Well, y'all let me know when you're ready for me to come out there to, wait. Well, y'all in California, yes. mm-hmm. man, daggone California, man. I haven't been to California since I went to LA about two years ago. Boy, that was an experience. Never been there before. Um, But (laughs) y'all let me know when y'all want me to come and we'll, we'll, we'll put it together and we'll have some fun, man. Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. That sounds amazing. We'll do a little proving ground out here. You and Dallas can do a wad off and, uh, Yeah, that'd be be
3: awesome. That'd be awesome. As long as there's not too much regulations. I know how California is. I don't know. There may be too much regulations for me to put on a proving ground around there.
1: (laughs) You
2: might have have to have (laughs) have 17 (laughs) lawyers review a thousand pages of documents. (laughs)
1: <laughs> sorry i had to get 10, i had to get that stab in there oh yeah we don't yeah. know no, we're glad you did yeah we know
2: <laughs> Tell uh, blake and james and nathan and brooke we give them my love you know like they're such great people like these are the three of seven guys and and um such an honor meeting them i i still remember you know these guys and i think we're on facebook and stuff and it's just like such solid people you put together an amazing team of people
3: Well, glory be to God. Thank you for being a part of it, Dan. And I hope to see you again soon, brother. Um, I love you guys.
2: You too, man.
1: Love Love you too, man. Yeah. Thank you so
0: much for your time, brother. Have a great day. Great race.
1: All
0: right, guys. That's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services.
1: And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free, confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.